Well, we are in the middle of our sermon series, Abundant Life Skills. Skills that we need to have an abundant life, have a full life. So let's watch a quick video about some very important life skills. Nobody's going to go out with me. Have you asked anybody yet? No, but who would? I don't even have any good skills. What do you mean? You know, like nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. Girls only want boyfriends who have great skills. I apologize, the audio video was off there, but girls only want boyfriends that have good skills. Remember that. If you want to date for the prom, you got to... So we're going to have... Mike Beach is going to head up over here. We're going to have a nunchuck training session over here. <laughs> Seth will help us with computer hacking skills. No, of course, these aren't the skills we're going to talk about today. But the Bible says that we can have an abundant life, a full life. Wouldn't that be great? What do we got to do to get there? That's what all these skills are about that we've been talking about. Uh, in review, let's take a look at Proverbs 3, 1, and 2. One of the verses that this series is based on. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Long life and prosperity. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? That's what God wants for us. And then, of course, John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or as the King James Version says, have it more abundantly, which is where the name of the series comes from. So this is what God wants for for us. The thief is who? The devil. Bad things come from the devil. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God wants us to have life and life more abundantly, life to the full. So hey, that's scriptural. Let's step into that. Let's learn how to do that. Some specific skills that we've learned so far. Pastor Mike talked to us first about hearing and following Jesus. Our relationship with God, our faith. How do we do that? Boy, that is a major skill to learn to live the abundant life. We've got to know how to hear from God. So he talked to us about that. That was awesome. Second, he talked about self-identity. Learning who we are and mainly who we are in Christ. That's pretty important. He, He asked the question, what's the most powerful voice in your life? Yours? Other people or God's? That's kind of a trick question because God's most powerful, right? The most powerful voice in your life is the one you believe and the one you listen to. That could be the voice of others. That could be your voice telling you you're not good enough or whatever it is. Whatever you believe is going to be the most powerful voice in your life. We've got to get a handle on that and know what to listen to and what to believe, right? So that was pretty awesome. He talked about that. Next, he spoke to us about the abundant life skill of how to biblically handle money. That's pretty important, too. That can trip you up fast. Money's not bad, is it? No. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. That can be a problem. Pastor Mike said money makes uh, a horrible master, but a really awesome servant. So just make sure you're on that side of it. You know, if, if money is ruling your life, that's not good. But if we can use it the way the Bible says to and and have control over that, man, praise God, he can use resources for his glory. Hey, I'm going to throw something in there about money. You know we're building an addition, right? Yeah, pretty obvious now. Pastor Mike has talked to you in the past about the payment 
Uh, in with the whole process and in the bid, we're paving the lower parking lot and a little piece up here. But that still leaves the entrance, which is all dirt, the exit, and then where the parking lot is going to be expanded here is all dirt. And man, it'd be great to pave the whole thing and, all once and have it done. And if we do it all at the same time, it'll save us 1400 bucks. So he's been talking about that and saying, man, be praying about that. We really want to do that. We needed approximately $20,000 to make that happen. Somebody gave $5,000 already. So we're a fourth of the way there. And now someone else gave $2,000. So we've got $7,000, only $13,000 away. So praise God, he provides. So, yeah, hallelujah. So I just wanted to throw my plug in there. Be praying about that. If you give 5 bucks or 50 bucks or 500 or 5000 whatever you can, if you feel led to do that, man, do it. That would be just fantastic to be able to do that all at once and get it done. So anyway, back to the series. The next thing he talked about last week was intimacy, if you know what I mean. I love the way he put that and he said that. If you know what I mean, you're going to know what I mean. We're talking about intimacy here, intimate relationships. Boy, that's a big one. You better have a handle on that. You make some bad decisions in that area can really uh, cause problems, right? So biblically, how do we handle intimate relationships? So that was pretty cool last week. He talked about that. So this week, I get to talk about renewing your mind. You say, what, are you trying to brainwash me or what? No, this is a biblical principle to renew your mind, to have a new perspective on the same situation. Or as Dr. Stephen Covey calls it, a paradigm shift. Uh, so let's take a look at Romans 12, 2 and see where this comes from in the Bible. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we could do that, wouldn't that make life a whole lot easier? If we could see and understand God's perfect and pleasing will for our lives? Man, that takes a rough road and just smoothens it out, makes it so much better. Um, Dr. Covey tells a story that really helps put it in, it helps us understand what it means to have a renewing of the mind and to see things from a different perspective or a paradigm shift. He tells about one particular Sunday morning in New York City. He was on a subway. And uh, he said, you know, a subway ride in New York City on a Sunday morning is pretty subdued, pretty quiet, not many people on the train. And it was that way this morning, too. There was an older gentleman with a newspaper down a ways from him reading it, and then there was another couple down further. Otherwise, just a quiet, calm atmosphere riding the train. And they came to the next stop, and the doors opened, and suddenly the atmosphere just changed. This guy steps in with his two little boys, and, man, they were trouble. They get on, and they're jumping around and yelling and screaming right from the word go. And he gets on and just kind of sat down and stared at the floor and didn't say a word. And these kids were, I mean, they were making, they at one point even knocked the newspaper out of the old guy's hand. They're bumping into the other couple, and they were making a lot of trouble, jumping up and down off the benches. And Dr. Covey said, man, I was getting irritated. I'm looking at this guy like, what is wrong with you? What kind of a parent are you? Can't you see what's going on here? Why don't you do something about this? And this kept on going on for a while. And finally, he said, my blood was boiling. I couldn't help it. I had to say something. So he said, sir, don't you think you should do something about this? Can't you see your kids are kind of making trouble here? And he said, the guy kind of looked at him like he just finally realized he was there or something and said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. 
You see, we just came from the hospital and their mother died and I guess they just don't know how to handle it and neither do I. Paradigm shift. Just like that. You see how you see that situation completely different just like that? Same situation. But a second ago, you're going, what an idiot. Why don't you take care of your kids? And then the next second, you're saying, oh, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? That's a renewal of the mind. That's a mind shift. That's a change in perspective, seeing things differently. Why did your perspective change? Because you knew more about the situation. You could see the whole picture, right? That's what we need. We need to see the whole picture and have a renewing of our mind in Christ, to have the mind of Christ. That's what it's all about. Kind of reminds me of, you know, sometimes that's the way society views Christianity. They have a skewed view of us and what we do, right? Because they don't know the whole story. People are making comments, and sometimes they just want to say, man, if only you knew my Jesus. If only you knew who he was and how great my God is, you'd, you wouldn't be saying the things you're saying. You'd see it completely differently, right? So that's the idea. Same situation, but once you have all the information, you can get a renewal of your mind and a perspective. So we're going to try to figure out how to do that today. Uh, for a little more info on that, let's look at Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19. It says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. You don't know what you don't know, right? And that's the thing, if you don't have all the information. You ever felt like that in your life? You don't know what even make, is making you stumble? You're like, God, why is this happening to me? Why am I in this situation? What's going on? You're in the dark. You're stumbling. Let's not do that, okay? All we got to do is ask God, man, renew me. Renew my mind. Help me see what's going on here. Uh, we don't want to be stumbling around and not knowing why. So how do we avoid that? How do we get this renewing of our mind? Well, right here, what you're doing today is a pretty good start. A big part of it is coming together, reading God's word, figuring out who he is, what is his character like, how do we see things from his perspective. This is fantastic. This is a great start. Once a week isn't enough. It comes down to your daily life. This has to be a daily renewing of our mind, a daily thing. If you commit to take time and and spend time in God's word, reading it and getting to know him, that's when it really begins. You get the renewing of your mind. You saturate yourself with him. Let's take a look at Romans 12, too, again, because there's some, some things that really struck me about this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. My question is this. The Bible is always full of commands, and it's full of promises. And I like to look at that. What are the commands we need to do? What are the promises we can claim? What is, what is in this verse? Both, right? Commandment, what's the promise? We'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But as usual, that's attached to something, isn't it? There's a command and there's a promise. Don't conform to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in this case, there are definite commands in the Bible, of course. Do this, thou shalt not kill. But I don't even see this as a command. This is more like a condition, a statement of, if you do this, this is the result, Right? Verses like this I view as fatherly advice, really. It's like with my son, I say, hey, you've got this car now, so 
Make sure you check the oil all the time. Make sure there's enough oil in it. And change the oil on a regular basis. Change the air filter. Check the air in the tires. And then this thing is going to last you longer and not cost you as much money. If you do this, this will happen, right? Good fatherly advice. That's what this is. This is just advice from our father who loves us and wants nothing but the best for us. Why would we not just say, okay, why not? So I love looking at things that way because that's what, that's what it is. The whole word of God is like, this is what you need to live the abundant, the full life. And so we should pay attention to it. Here's the other thing that kind of struck me about this verse. Notice that he doesn't say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be conformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not conformed, it's transformed. And those two words are very different. To conform to something means to kind of give in and get shaped to it. Being transformed is an inside-out, complete renewal, becoming something completely different. Big difference there. We're not just to be conformed to what God wants. He transforms us from inside out and renews us. Don't give in to the stuff of the world, but be transformed. And the other thing is, he doesn't say, I'm going to transform you and renew your minds, does he? He doesn't say that. He says, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So we have a part to play in this thing. We better learn what it is and do it, right? The thing is, it's kind of like everything else that God does. He loves to have us involved. That's why he created us, is for an intimate relationship with us and to have us be involved in what he wants to do. Uh, Even all the way down to our salvation. Don't get me wrong. We're saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But there is something we have to do first, right? We have to consciously accept that gift, don't we? That's our part, and then God will do the rest. The Great Commission, God didn't say, okay, I'm going to go out into all the world, I'm going to preach, I'm going to baptize, I'm going to save everybody. No, he said, you, go out into all the world, preaching and baptizing in my name, and then he'll do the rest, right? God chooses to have us involved in everything he does, but we have to do it. We have to make the step. And that's the thing with the renewing of our mind. He said, be transformed by the renewing of mind. He didn't say, I'm going to do it. So we got some work to do. I figure out how this works. If we don't do something about it and we just wonder why it's not happening, that's kind of like somebody that doesn't have a job and they're really praying, oh, God, send me a job. I need a job. And you go, great, I'm praying with you. How many have you applied for? Oh, I haven't really applied for any jobs, but I'm sure praying that God sends me one. (laughs) It doesn't work that way, does it? Or someone who can't figure out why they haven't won the lottery, but they haven't bought any tickets. You know, not that I recommend that, but you know what I mean. It's, it's crazy when you look at it from the outside, isn't it? But yet there's people that live that way. Okay, I'm saved. God changed me. How come my life isn't getting any better? Oh, I, I'm serving you, God. How come my life's not getting better? He gives us a part to play, so we better figure it out and do it, right? Praise God. He's given us the tools, the equipment, all the information we need in his word. Uh, so we'll dig in and figure that out. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Praise God for that. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
well, there goes our excuses. <laughs> no longer can we just say, well, that's the way I am. That's the way. I can't help it if these thoughts come into my mind. I, I mean, that's the, way, that's the way I was brought up. That, the victim mentality that's so prevalent today. Well, that's the way I am. Can't change that. That's not what this says, is it? It says, take captive every thought. Make it obedient to Christ. We've got to do that. We've got to make the effort. We can't just bounce around and be the victim here. In the corporate world, I used to be known as the storyteller. I told a lot of stories to motivate people and uh, help them get a kind of a uh, change in the way they think things. And so I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories here. I'm telling it for a reason, so bear with me. There was a farmer way back in the day before machinery and tractors and all that when they did farming with horses and mules and donkeys and oxen. He had a donkey uh, that he really liked. It was a good donkey on the farm. But one day he could hear, he was in the house, he could hear the donkey braying and braying and making all kinds of noise, but it sounded like it was way off in the distance. And he couldn't figure it out. So he went outside and he listened and he followed the sound and followed the sound and went around behind his barn. And here behind his barn was a great big old hand-dug well that had dried up years ago. And there was just some brush and stuff piled over it. That crazy donkey had climbed up on his pile and figured out how, and he fell down, and he was in the bottom of the well, way down there. And so the farmer's like, oh, no, what am I going to do? So he tried to figure out with ropes what he could do to get the donkey out, and he couldn't figure it out, couldn't get the donkey out of there. His neighbors all came over to help, and they were pulling and trying to figure something out. Finally, after a couple of hours, they said, we've got to face it. We can't get this donkey out of here, and we can't just leave him down there to starve and what are we going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I guess the only thing we can do is make that his grave and bury him right there where he is. So they all grabbed shovels and started shoveling. The donkey's down there, and he's like, man, there's dirt coming on my back. I don't like this. It's heavy, and it's cold. And so he shook. Oh, man, they kept shoveling more dirt on his back. And he shook again. Well, then pretty soon it's building up around his legs. Well, he didn't like that either, so he stepped a little bit like that and he shook it off and he stepped up and he shook it off and he stepped up and he shook it off and he stepped up you guessed it pretty soon he walked out on top of the ground so obviously the moral of the story is when it feels like the world's shoveling dirt on your back shake it off and step up shake it off and step up shake it off and step up and pretty soon you're going to end up on top right woohoo good motivational story so one day I'm reading in Galatians, and I came across Galatians 6 and 9, and this is what I read. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That kind of sounds like the donkey, doesn't it? I went, hey, my stories are from the Bible, really. I mean, they can be. It can help us understand things better. Don't become weary in doing good, because at the proper time, you're going to reap a harvest if you don't give up. And we don't give up because we know that in proper time, we're going to reap a harvest, right? So, hey, that's encouraging. I need to have that kind of renewal of my mind and get that kind of determination. As Christians, what is there worth putting effort into more than serving Christ, right? We better get it together. Let's take a look at John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. Boy, there's a promise we don't like to hold on to, is there? 
kind of like to pass over that. But he says right away, and multiple times in the Bible, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. We don't like it, but it's going to be. So why are we surprised when we have trouble? Ah, we need to realize that we're in a fallen world and there's going to be trouble. But take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. That's kind of like the donkey story again. We can take heart because we're going to end up on top. Praise God, he has overcome the world. The mindset of Christ, the renewing of your mind, the changing, the focus. Here's the problem. When you're in the well, it's easy to look at the wall of the well and look down and all the dirt and go, I'm stuck here. If we just look up, there's an opening and we're getting closer to it, right? We get focused on the little thing, forget about the big thing. Tunnel vision, that's the problem. The renewing of your mind is stop focusing on the little picture, focus on the big picture. What's the big picture for us as Christians? Christ has overcome. He has the victory. We don't have to focus on our little problems and the things in our life. If we focus on that, it'll change everything. There's another story that kind of, um, kind of shows us a difference in a practical way between small picture, big picture, or a reactive person versus a proactive person. Remember we talked about the victim mentality? A reactive person is just in this world going through, and oh, I guess that happens. The proactive person says, no, Christ tells me to take captive every thought, and I'm going to do that. So let's say that you have a family, and you've been busy doing a lot of things. You haven't spent a lot of time with your family. So you and your spouse say, look, we need to do this. We're going to schedule a time. So you pick a Saturday and say, I'm taking that day off. That's going to be our family day. We're going to make a picnic lunch. We're going to grab a blanket. We're going to go to the park. We're going to spread the blanket out, have a picnic lunch with the kids. Going to bring Frisbees and footballs, and we're going to have a family day. We're going to make some memories uh, and have some fun, bond together as a family. Good plan. So that particular Saturday comes around, and guess what? It's pouring down rain. So what does the reactive or the short-sighted person do? Oh, man, it's raining. We were going to have this picnic. Guess God doesn't want us to have family time. Eh, well, we'll just have to do something. I don't know. I'll mope around the house all day, and the kids will go play video games, and the day is ruined. You're looking at the short-sighted part of it. My plans were ruined. Look at the big picture. The proactive person says, what was the purpose of all this? Oh, yeah, it was family time to build some, some relationship there and to build some memories. Hmm, here's what we're going to do. Let's go in the living room, clear the furniture all to the side. We're going to throw the blanket in on the floor there. We'll have our picnic lunch. We'll whip out the board games, maybe play hide-and-seek in the house. Family time. And, you know, that might even be better than the first plan because, boy, I think of in the future, the kid is going to go, remember that time Mom even let us move the furniture? It was great. We played hide-and-seek. I hid in the closet. Dad couldn't find me. You're creating memories. Short-sighted. Long-sighted, little picture, big picture. Renew your mind. Get out of this little short-sighted view and get a new perspective of the same situation, right? Don't focus on what is least important. Focus on what is most important. And it's easy in our lives to focus on the things that are just really not important, isn't it? Let's take a look at Romans 8, 5 and 6. Romans 8 tells us that those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Stay there for a second. 
So those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. What is that? Self. Self-centered, selfishness. They have their mind focused on what this nature desires, what I want. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. That's the renewing of the mind. That's the difference right there. Little, little view, big view. Let's go on to verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death, Oof. but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. I'll take the second option, please. Looks a lot better, doesn't it? The mind is death. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. That sounds like life more abundantly, doesn't it? Life to the full. Man, that's what we want. That's what we want. A lot of times in conflict, it's easy to be focused on the little picture. And I've seen it even among Christians. You're having a debate or an argument about something. And sometimes it's more important to prove that you're right than to have reconciliation and harmony, isn't it? Well, that's tragedy. It's really tragedy in relationships to be that way. Get focused on proving that you're right. You know, so what if the other person thinks they're right? Let's have harmony and reconciliation uh, in the body of Christ. How about in marriages? We have a lot of married couples here, I see. I'm going to forewarn you because I didn't warn the Saturday service. Don't answer this question out loud or raise your hand or nudge or anything like that. I don't want to cause any interesting discussions on the way home or anything. But how many of you who are married, your spouse, you have a pet peeve. There's something your spouse does that just drives you nuts. They do it any? See, don't do that. <laughs> There's a lady here Saturday night right away. And her husband's sitting right there. I'm like, oh, man. I'm glad I'm not riding in that car on the way home. So... No, but it's easy. We all, we all have that, it seems like. We have things that bug us and pet peeves, something. I don't know, maybe for you it's that he leaves his socks on the floor all the time, right? Why can't he just pick them up, put them in the hamper? Do you expect me to do everything for him, right? So what do we do a lot of times when that happens? We get all irritated and snarky and make some snide comments and there's friction there and the atmosphere in the house is a little bit rough. So a lot of times he's like, I don't know what her problem is. I guess I'm going to go out in the garage and work on something. I don't know. And then there's separation. That's not a good situation, is it? It seems like a little thing, but it's not good. I knew a guy one time who, uh, I still know him actually, he was married to his wife. His pet peeve was that if she'd throw dishes in the sink without rinsing them off. And the food dries on there, and it's harder to get off. Can't you just rinse them off? That was his pet peeve. And so she'd do that, and it would just irritate him to no end, and he'd start making smart remarks and get all irritable and grumpy and friction. Well, you know what? One day she walked out on him and left him. Probably not just for that, but, man, that's a piece of it. I know a pastor who's been pastoring for 20-some years and has counseled tons and tons of married couples in, in, in trouble. And he said, every time it's about the little things. It's all the little dumb things. So now this guy is sitting there going, the love of my life left me. The greatest thing that ever happened to me is gone. How could I be so foolish to let this go? In those times, it was it really that important that she rinsed the dishes? Little picture, big picture. We're in the middle of those things. Is it really that big of a deal 
can, can you, to save your marriage, can you go over and rinse it off yourself? Or can you approach it differently and say, hey, I love you, man, but this kind of is, is a pet peeve of mine. Can you, can you just do that, try and do that? And if she does, great. If she doesn't, so what? You've got the love of your life with you and you preserve your marriage. Look at the big picture. Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Little picture, big picture. Don't get tunnel vision. Don't focus on the things that don't really matter and are not really a big deal. Okay. Have you ever been maybe with a coworker or something, there's a disagreement, and there always seems to be that one guy that has to prove he's right and he's smarter than everybody? So if you're looking at little picture, you need to prove you're right, right? But what is going to draw that coworker to Christianity? What's going to make him think, man, I want what that person's got? That you prove that you're right? No, not necessarily. If you take the long view, it's more important, of course, to attract him to Christianity. If we're Christians and living to be a light to the world, we have to consider that. Everything we do has to be in light of that big picture. Am I bringing glory and honor to God? Am I furthering the kingdom or am I pushing people away? Every relationship, everything we do has to be seen in that view. That's the renewing of your mind to that viewpoint. Get, get out of this little picture. Get to the big one. I grew up in the middle of farm country in central Minnesota. And uh, big, wide-open fields. And it's pretty easy to see which farmers knew how to have the long view and who had the short view when it came to work in the fields. If you were starting to plow or if you are planting, that first row especially... You better be setting your sights on a tree or a telephone pole or a fence post or a rock or something on the other end of that field and don't take your eye off it. That's the only way to get a really straight row. And even in the rows after that, you might think you're pretty good at, yeah, I can watch that one and stay alongside of it. No problem. You get to the other end and turn around and, what did I do? I'm going like this. You've got to keep that long view to keep a straight row every time. I like to cut my grass diagonally sometimes just because it looks cool. You know, do it at an angle. And they say it's better to mow the grass in different directions every now and then, so I like to do that. And it's the same thing there. Man, i got to take a look at the corner of my garage or something on the other side of the yard and just be right in line with that every time or I'm going to get off and then it's going to look goofy and then I won't like it. So it's kind of the same thing. We've got to keep the long view. That's the only way you're going to stay on, on track. You start looking the short view and looking down, you're going to start wandering and your, your mind is going to get off track. So to keep your mind renewed, keep the long view. Keep your, keep your eyes on Christ. Let's take a look at Philippians 4, verses 4 and 7, first of all. This is how we should train our minds to think. This is what God says. This is part of the renewal process. Take captive every thought and do this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Boy, that's not easy to do, is it? But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That sounds good, doesn't it? The peace of God will guard your hearts and guard your minds. But how do we do that? Let's go back to verse 6. That's pretty crazy. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The reason 
His peace will transcend in this situation is because you're getting your mind off the problem. You're giving it to God. Don't be anxious about it. Present it to God. And if you know and understand and trust that he is a great and awesome God and he can handle anything, whew, there goes that anxious worry, right? Give it to God. I don't remember exactly what the numbers are, but there's statistics that show, and I don't know how they figured this out, but they say that they have a scientific study to show this. It's somewhere in the area of 90% of the things that we worry about never happen. Isn't that crazy? We waste time worrying about things that never happen. That's bad for our health. That's a waste of our time and our energy. It gets us focused on the little thing. Don't be anxious about anything, God says, because you know I'm in control and I can handle it. Present it to me and let it go. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. You'll have clarity to be able to serve God in the way that he wants you to. And you'll be able to do, decipher his will, right? That's his promises. This is what we're learning. Man, that sounds good. Let's go on to verse 8 of Philippians 4. <clears throat> Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That takes some work to learn how to do that, doesn't it? But that's taking captive every thought. We need to do that. Pay attention to what's in your mind. What, what are you worrying about? What's going on? Take captive every thought and think about these things instead, Jesus says, and then my peace will be there. and It'll take care of you. Praise God. So we've got to think about how we see things. When you look at your own life, what do you see? Do you see your problems? Small picture. Or do you see the one who has a solution to every problem and wants to take care of it for you and has power over everything? Little view, big view. Do you see your own personal ambitions and the things you're trying to accomplish? Or do you see the one who gave his all for you and you owe him everything? What a different perspective, isn't it? Instead of going after your own things, or man, I'm serving a God who is great. He gave everything for me and I owe him everything. When you look at your financial situation, do you see your money problems? You know, oh man, worried about that? Or do you see the one whose resources are not limited? Not a bit. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He created everything. And he wants to be there for you. What do you see? Small view, big view. When you look at yourself, we talked about self-identity a few weeks ago here. What do you see? Do you see shortcomings? Reasons why you can't do this, why you can't do that. You see your own personal issues. Or do you see yourself as God sees you? Holy, righteous, redeemed, saved. He calls you his friend, his brother, your be- his beautiful bride. Man, that's a whole new perspective, isn't it? Won't that change the way you feel, the way you carry yourself, the way you act, the way you live your life? That's how God sees us. And if we can learn to see ourselves from that perspective versus our little perspective, that'll renew us all the way, all day long, right? Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 2.16. One final verse here. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. That's his promise to us. He says, when we give ourselves to him, we have the mind of Christ. Praise God. I'm glad for that. 
Because remember, we talked about our part in things. We talked about even the plan of salvation. We have to constantly accept it. But then what does he do? Everything else. He's got it covered. He made the sacrifice. He's our redeemer. The Great Commission, we're commanded to go out. But then what does he say he'll do? His Holy Spirit will draw people to himself. He'll change hearts and minds. If we take that step, he's got it, man. And it's no different than this. We need to take the step. We have to consciously make an effort to renew our minds. But how's that going to happen? Then he's going to do it. He transforms us from inside out. So the biggest way we can do this is by, like I said before, spending time in his word, spending time with him, and getting to know him and getting to know his word. So today, really, there's one thing that you can do, one commitment you can make that's going to really set you on the path to renewing your mind. And that is if you'll commit, no matter what, set time aside every day, get in his word, study it, read it, ask him to show you, reveal himself through it. Uh, Ask him, let me know what your character is and how you feel about this uh, particular situation or whatever it is that you're looking at in his word. Man, he'll wash over you. When you get to know his character and start seeing things from his perspective, it's a whole new view. Praise God. It's awesome. So that's renewing your mind. We're a little bit early today, but I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. Um, and they'll be here to pray with you. Man, these guys spend time in prayer for you guys a lot. And boy, do I appreciate that. That's awesome. They're here to pray with you for anything that you want to be prayed for today. Uh, I'd invite you to spend time here, even in your seats, or come forward and pray with these guys and say, God, renew my mind. We need to be refreshed. We need to see it from your perspective. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the clear vision you give us of how we are to live. If we'll just take the time to dig in and take the time to ask you and to sit down and get to know you, God. We want to know your character. We know that you're in control. We know that you've overcome it all. We're singing about it today, and Lord, we really believe it. And we need to see things from your perspective. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who's battling with mind issues. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's a a poor view of themselves. Maybe it's relational issues. God, renew our minds. Freshen us in your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Help us to see that situation, not just for the situation, but help us to see the overcomer, the conqueror, the king of all. As we go out this week, Lord, I pray for safe travels now as everyone goes home, and I just pray that you'd Give us the courage to to dig in and get to know you in a in a more real way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. You're dismissed.